Twin Lights Brewing was founded as a community-centric, environmentally-minded family operation which seeks to source and honor local ingredients, push the boundaries of the science of brewing, and spread the kind of joy that only comes from drinking beer crafted from the heart. With an ever-rotating selection of beers on tap, a family-friendly tap room that welcomes children of all ages as well as dogs, and a large, comfortable space built to host all kinds of events, Twin Lights is designed to bring the community together in new and exciting ways. Visit Twin Lights Brewing at 4057 Asbury Avenue in Tinton Falls, New Jersey, and follow them on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on their newest releases, merchandise, and special events. Twin Lights Brewing, the official beer sponsor of the Review Podcast Network. can only mean one thing. Welcome back to Cannon Fodder. My name is Ed. And I'm Matt. And today's episode is all about the Indiana Jones ser- series. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm super excited to talk about this because in re-watching um, some of these movies, they don't all hold up, Yeah, I think. Mixed um, bag. And, I mean, obviously one of them never... Uh, What's like the? I'm trying to think of the right word here. It's not that it doesn't hold up. It's that it like there was never a point in time where it was holding up anything. It was never structurally. Yeah, it's like it's like (laughs) when they say you're not a has been, you're never was, right? Like, and we obviously know what movie we're talking about within the series, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, But let's. I think we should talk about um, because there's there's a lot of fodder. Um, which which goes in this universe, um, a lot of which I honestly didn't know existed, which, Ed, you always do a great job at finding. Um, but I want to talk about the most recent one because it just came out a, few, a couple of weeks ago. We, we've both seen it. Yeah. Um, and I think we have differing opinions on it. Yeah, in honor of George Lucas, who created the character, we'll go out of order time-wise. <laughs> so uh, we'll start with <laughs> the fifth movie, which just came out um, this year, 2023. So if you haven't seen uh, The Dial of Destiny, the fifth movie in the series, you know, do not listen to the first part of this podcast <laughs> because we're going to spoil it in depth. So, yeah, let's start. It's the first indie movie without the direct involvement of Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. So That's they were true. like producers on it, but yeah. Lucas didn't write the story, which he did for the previous ones, and Spielberg didn't direct. So we had James Mangold directing. So first off, I think I'm pro and you're con. Is that a safe way to, to put it? For the most part, yeah. They're, um, you know, and we'll we'll talk about the specifics. But, yeah, for the most for the most part, I did not like this movie. So I'm going to start off by saying, in order, my five movies. Yeah, So my five movies, Raiders is first. Yep. Last Crusade is second. Yep. Dial of Destiny is third. Woof. 
uh, and then followed by uh, Temple of Doom as four, and then five, of course. A very far behind five, yeah. Crystal Skull. But so that's how much I enjoy Dial of Destiny. It's right. top three for me. Well, it sounds like for you, it's more like a four. Yeah, for for me, it's four. For me, it's uh, I agree with you. It's it's Raiders, Last Crusade, and then I would put Temple of Doom next, and then I would put Dial of Destiny, and obviously, yeah, I mean, poor poor Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Like <laughs> it's just nobody loves you, um, you know. But but yeah, I mean, so for Dial of Destiny, for me, um, there. Let, let's talk about what we liked first, because right. there are things I like about this movie. Yeah, honestly, the thing for me that I liked the most about this movie. Um, was honestly that very final scene yes. um, where, where Karen Allen's character shows back up, right? And he's back in his apartment and everyone's kind of mended their relationships, you know, because they had the divorce thing they were talking about earlier on and in the movie. And his son dying, which and, is like, you had to do because Shia LaBeouf so, is Shia LaBeouf. But, but can I tell you that yeah. that was my, so talk when he talked about Shia LaBeouf yeah. dying, that was my favorite part of the movie because I'm sitting there watching the movie. As I'm watching, I'm like, because there, there was a lot of obviously connections, right, to, to, to canon and lore, right? Like Sala coming back and all those good connections yeah. I really liked. And I'm sitting there I'm going like, are they going to address Shia LaBeouf not being in this movie? And I thought they were going to talk about something, you know, fractured relationship he's gone away but no they they just fucking killed him Kill which him i screen. loved yeah. i loved that part <laughs> but they also take something that like is kind of funny in the sense that we always kind of knew he wouldn't be back right and they actually make it like the emotional heart of the movie which right. is interesting and i will agree that's one of the strongest parts of the movie because for me if this is the last harrison ford and anna jones it seems like it is yep. if that is the last we see of his version because inevitably there will be some other indie if right. it takes maybe not right away but Within our lifetime, there will be another indie something. But if that is the last we see of this indie, that's a good way to go out. He's yeah. reunited with his wife. He, you know, still has that friends and family unit. You know, the, you know, like uh, his goddaughter and all that. Like, if that's going to be the end of his journey. I'm really okay with that. So they got to a really good point. Exactly. But I, I think it's in good. the middle part. So, so here, yeah. let's start from the beginning. Yeah. What did you think of the um, the opening sequence in World War Two? So it was good overall, and this is one of the problems I had with the movie overall, which is strange to say, there was almost too much action for yeah. me. Because that whole opening sequence, like, I, I, I didn't honestly time it, but it, it felt like it was like a half hour long. Like, it was long. And it was hard to follow at some points, because like when it was dark and they were fight and he was fighting that guy on the tandem uh, motorcycle, right. like, it was hard to follow the action. And yeah. It was also very heavy on CGI. Like, very heavy I on loved, CGI. I love that they de-aged him. I, I liked that sequence. I thought it was a great way to really, like, like especially this is kind of fodder, like to really tie into like the heart and the other movies, yep. like Nazis are the best indie villains. Yes. They so, are. so having all that and, and having that, like, and having like, and the tone of it all with have like, they're basically know they're losing the war. They're right. trying to like abscond with all this stuff. Like, like having it be like a desperate last chance type thing. And I great. like, there was a lot of that, you know, like playing on, uh, real world stuff where it was like, you know, oh, Hitler's just a fucking kook and his obsession with these religious artifacts yeah. that mean nothing, right? Because it was all about the spear that pierced Jesus. Right. Ended up being a fake, but the dial is the real thing. And this is one of the things, again, the, the action, the, again, I felt there was a little bit too much action, but my first major problem I had with this movie starts here when Mads Mikkelsen's character gets that 
generic, you know, Looney Tune style hit by the stationary yeah. thing on the train. There is no possible way that you are surviving that. That no. train was going very fast. Like, yeah. j- just like, you know, like if he's going to be coming back later in the movie as the main villain, just find a different way to make it a little bit more ambiguous to at least make you believe he could have survived. He could have fallen off the train. Right, fall off the I train. mean, he's a he's a scientist. He's yeah. not an action star. Like, fall it wouldn't off be the weird train. It's much yeah. more believable when yeah. he shows up thirty years later. Yeah. Like that when he got hit by that whatever it was on the side, you couldn't yeah. even really make it. I'm like, dude, he's fucking dead. You know, like <laughs> also and. Here's a Mission Impossible, impossible uh, spoiler here because, you know, it's it's hard to, like, talk about these movies. You know, like, they're all coming out at the same time, right? So right. The newest Mission Impossible has a very similar train sequence where somebody has to break onto a train right. and save their friend who's on the train. And having seen that recently, that's so much better. Yeah. That's actually a problem for this movie, too. Is It's like it immediately kind of doesn't hold up to what Mission Impossible did. And that's right. part of it is just, like... The, the special effects of it, you know, like him running across the train didn't seem believable. Didn't and seem believable. Like there's no, a lot of yeah. these things where like it, it was just so computer generated, which they kind of have to do if you're setting something so far in the past and yeah. creating this new world. And you could but, even tell, yeah. like the, the to your point about the the CGI stuff, you could even tell that like some of the you know because that whole scene takes place at night. Yeah. And like the even just the nighttime backdrop, you could tell mm-hmm. was like so fully CGI'd, yeah. and it just it looked. Like the haze, it just looked very, you know, very fake. Um, in in that scene, and and this is one of the things. Like I said, there was this movie almost had too much action for me. Now, how did you feel about uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge's character of uh, Helena Wombat? I fucking hated her. Really? Okay. I, like 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 the character, like who she was, yeah. and and her her story, I thought was mm-hmm. well written, but her the way she played the character, I found to be. So insufferable. Like, I get they were trying to play up this, I don't know, spoiled kind of, uh, not not really spoiled, but she came off as a spoiled brat. I, I don't think that was meant. Which is weird she considering, to be. you know, she's basically an orphan. And right. She's, and she's had a rough life. Yeah, yeah she, she came off as a spoiled brat, and I felt that her and Harrison Ford had just all the wrong type of chemistry. Like, they're just, it. Yeah, it's weird that you mentioned chemistry. So. I don't think at any point during the movie or me watching the movie did I ever think there was anything romantic between them. No, no, not romantic. Never, never, ever. But what's weird is that objectively, if they were closer in age, she is exactly the type of woman he would have ended up with in one of those movies. Yeah. She was – it's weird. It's, you know, like – it's weird for like the Bond girl character, right. if you will, to be the daughter character right. too. It was a weird. Dynamic. I think the problem that I yeah. had with her was that you know they wrote her character to be you know she was upset about her perceived um, abandonment issues with yeah. India as her godfather, right? And and that's like a real thing. That that but part way, I thought worked yeah. well. See, for me, the way she played that role though, yeah. like she didn't play the role as somebody who was trying to was lashing out at Indy over her abandonment issues. She just played the role as someone who's a complete ungrateful piece of shit. And like she she just like there was no redeeming and then that whole scene with her like ex fiance or yeah. whatever. And again, too much like that whole scene was another half hour of the movie I could have done completely without. That right. whole chase scene, uh, you know, in the tuck tuck, right? Like that whole thing I could have done completely without. It served absolutely zero purpose. Or it could have just been shorter. Like there are aspects or shorter. of that. Ch- Make that like, like a five minute like the scene. tiny yeah. cars going through the alleyways. Right. Also, you know, having some sort of North African location chase scene is very indie, you know, like that right. whole world. But it was way too long yeah. and the, the introduction of that yeah. guy. And then can we also just like since we're kind of getting into that point too? Yeah. Like 
I'm sorry, the 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 short round nostalgia replacement character yeah. did not work for me. Just did not work at all. Now, here's a great what if, since you mentioned short round. This is one thing I was thinking is that unfortunately this movie came out or it came out after the like renaissance for that actor. Right? I was gonna say, dude, that would have made if they but, had yeah, if, if, if bro, it had been made a movie if it had been made had, a year or two later, he would have gotten it off. What's his name? K Hyung? Uh, uh, yeah, I K-Hung always mispronounce Kwang, it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Dude. I, I, sorry, so I don't want to, but he's phenomenal. How great would it be if he would have had a larger role in this? If Bro, he would have been some sort of like surprise. This is helper. one of those yeah. things where, like, you know, I it's it, it would have been gimmicky, but if you had given me a scene where, especially like when they're in the catacombs, yeah. right, right, where they find the watch, you know, and all that yeah. stuff, where and like then like the action like really started to yeah. kind of ramp up, like the stakes really started to get higher. You give me a scene where short adult short round shows up and fucking John Wicks everybody yeah. and like you know like that would have been that would have been incredible because <laughs> he could have been like the Antonio Banderas guy. Yes. he could have been the guy they meet along the way who helps them out or something. Which what the fuck was that cameo by the way? That, I was, was like, is this so fucking weird. Antonio Banderas? Like, like what? <laughs> it was also like it was cool. It, it was, was great. great. It was a great, great scene. character. I like that. But then scene. like you just meet him so that like. When he dies, like you're just like, oh man, but like he doesn't have the same emotional resonance. Right. That's a problem sometimes with these sequels that like set up these characters that like have a big relationship to like the main character right. that you've never seen. So like that's part of so I actually like Phoebe Waller Bridge in this. I like her from Fleabag. I like her outside. So you always kind of bring your thoughts about a character into a new movie. Right. So like or not. See, I've never seen Fleabag, yeah. so for but me I it was like, like an introduction to her and I was like, fuck this girl is but insufferable. I liked her better than you, which I think is also key to the movie. Like if you don't like the second lead in the movie, that's, that's <laughs> not that's a bad start. Uh, uh, so I liked her I liked her better than you, but I thought she worked and what I liked is that like about her is that getting back to what you talked about how like it wasn't clear to see, you know, like oh like that relationship where now she hates Indy. I thought what was interesting about that is it was more that she was just like ambivalent to him. Yeah. It wasn't that she was like basically the way her um like mistrust and disappointment in him as a pseudo father figure played out is that it's just she didn't care about him anymore. Right. So like she didn't mind like duping him or leaving him behind and then eventually the, at the end of the movie she doesn't want to leave him behind, you know, like that type of thing. I, I also thought it was interesting. What I l- really liked about the movie is it's really weird in indie just, you know, setting up these MacGuffins, right? Yes. The Lost Ark and the and um, the, the Cup of Christ, as they call it, you know, <laughs> from Last Crusade. Those two work really well because right. they're, like, really big and, like, they still have a resonance now. Right. They're real in a they're sense. They're real in a sense where, yeah. Though the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the Crystal Skulls didn't really work because I – I had heard of them, but I think like and like when the movie comes out, you like Google it and you kind of figure out. But that's not a big archaeological thing. Yeah. Um, well, and, the, and, the, and then Temple of Doom was based off of Hinduism, but right. those stones themselves aren't like a major thing within Hinduism. And Crystal Skull really jumped the shark, which yeah. is what I felt that this what Dial of Destiny did, which is what I really like started to because I wanted you know to kind of jump towards the end of the movie here, yeah. right? All I wanted for it to be was a big nothing burger. Right. Like, I would have loved to see, because, you know, Mads Mikkelsen's character was just so fucking pompous. Yeah. Right? Like, I would have just loved to see a a an ending where it's, they get the dial, right? Yeah. And they're trying to do this whole thing to go back and, you know, say, and, you know, turn the world into the Third Reich, right? Whatever his fucking plan was. I would have loved to see it just be a big nothing burger, right? And end the movie that way. And then when they actually fucking travel through time, I was like, 
Okay. <laughs> but it wasn't like a nothing burger, but it was close, right? But, because, but it, you know, it was, it was still what, a nothing burger. It's not yeah. a, time to, a time machine. So what's interesting right. is, um, so we're talking about, you know, they call it the Spear of, of uh, I'm sorry, not the Spear of Destiny, the Dial of Destiny. And uh, what it is, is it's actually based off of something called the Antithicara. And, 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 and uh, it's in our document, and I'll post it on our Instagram page. There is actually an actual dial. Yes. That, the, that they got. And what they think the dial is, they're, they're fairly certain. Unfortunately, it was, you know, they found it in a, in a ship, just like in the movie. Uh, but they have the whole thing. And what they believe it is, um, is that it was um, like one of the first computers. It's like an analog computer. Right. So it's, it's, it's just like your, your watch. You can wind like old watches. Right. You would wind this like very complex system that would predict the position of the stars and that right. would help with celestial navigation. So that's right. what it was. It was like one of the world's like most accurate like compasses and celestial navigation. It's a really interesting thing. That's what they think it is. So it is based off of real thing, which is fun. But what I love about what they do at the end is that it's not a time machine where, you know, like you can plug into the flux capacitor the exact time you want to go. Yep. This is it finds fissures in time. So like time travel is just kind of a natural thing. Like time travel bends back on itself. And what this finds is this finds only the fissures in time that lets you go back to 212 BC when the Romans are invading <laughs> Syracuse. And it's, it's just like, you know what it is? It's just like, it's like a desperate call, like a Dana Transformers that like he puts out to the Autobots. Like, it's just like, he just hopes that yeah. somebody from the future will come back using this device and help them. Yeah. In a sense, it does. The planes scare away the Romans. Right. Well, and, and, yeah. and it also it also feels very much very much like uh, like Terminator Three, right? Mm -hmm. Where they think they've you know prevented, or the, I guess the bridge from Terminator Two to Terminator Three. Oh, we prevented Judgment Day, and at the end of Terminator Three, right, the big twist is no, we just postponed it. Like Judgment Day right. is always going to happen. Yeah. We just postponed it. it. Felt very much like that. Yeah. Well, because there is the 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 predestined time aspect, right? It, right. Because even before they go back in time, you see Archimedes is wearing that um, Schmidt's watch. Yep. And you see that um, on the frieze on his tomb are propellers att attached to um, right. um, um, like a, a bird, which is kind of like – I like I like how the Romans are calling them dragons. Too. Yeah, the dragons. Like, that makes yeah, a lot of sense. It does. Like, it it's does. Like, what the hell? If you're like a Roman centurion invading Sicily. Right, like what else would these things be? And like, yeah, and then it was like, you know – and then, like when they when they get to that part, this is where like I, I just got like so you know, when Indy was like, "No, just leave me here," I was like, "I was like, oh come on, dude!" Like that was kind of weird for me too because I, I I didn't know where that was gonna go. Cause right? Like, like like you knew you knew he wasn't going to stay there, and he couldn't say. I was thinking, is he go, is he staying there so he can send some sort of message to stop his son? See, like that's like, what, like you like, know, like, but, how, but was, how is that message going to from three thousand years later? Like, how is that message going to get there? You know, like, <laughs> hey, can you put this in your tomb? <laughs> I don't know. No, but see, but 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 you're right yeah. though. Like, like I was thinking of all these things too. I was like, all right, what the fuck is the point of him wanting to stay here? Yeah. Like he should just like he's always been a relatively practical fucking dude in all of his other movies. He should just want to get the fuck out of there. Well, I think it plays to him being kind of broken. You know, like you know he's okay, that's fair. You know, yeah, because where fair. we see him in the movie is he's now he's now switched colleges. So it's important to note where we last saw him. So jumping back just a little bit at the very end of Kingdom of Crystal Skull, right? right he reunites with the love of his life, Marion. They get married. He yep. now has a son who he actually, as crazy as that movie was, he actually has a pretty good relationship with his son by the end of the movie. Yeah. Like, you know, like it's kind of good. Of course. And yeah. which is also interesting given that he, in other movies we established, he didn't have a great relationship with his dad for the most part. 
and he's also um, he's promoted to like associate dean. So that's where we leave him back in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which is like 15 years prior to this. And then now at this movie, he's now at a different college, and he's just a regular professor. He's living in this crazy um, apartment, you know, and you know it was really loud, super you know, hippie pad, neighbors, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's drinking like in the more like he like uh, yeah. he he's we first see future indie yes. <laughs> with a drink in his hand, having obviously drank himself the night before, and he has the divorce papers on on the wall and all that, and I can't help but see parallels to where they had Han Solo go. But that's why I'm glad that at least they gave him a happy ending. Because, you know, like the end of the movie kind of gives him that happy ending. Whereas yeah. Han Solo at the beginning of The Force Awakens was kind of in the same place it, it, and it, never had that full thing. It is a very interesting yeah. parallel between the – I'm glad that you mentioned that because I feel like the the complete – right, now that we have a complete arc for Indy yeah. and we have a complete arc for Han Solo, they're very similar characters yeah. in a lot of weird – Ways. I mean, well, not boners. just the least of which are both written by fucking George Lucas, right? Like, you know? <laughs> and one theme we see in every one of the indie movies is that he is, as much as he is a loyal friend, he is not good at keeping up all of these important relationships. Like, yeah, he, <laughs> Marion Ravenwood is the love of his life, but he breaks up with her in major ways twice. He's a horrible godfather. You know, how many of the, you know, like, you know, like, he seems to do nothing with um, with Helena's character, like after her father dies, right? Which is crazy, you know. Like, I mean, it's very indie, but it also means he's not a very, you know. It, it really takes away from. Him. And while we're talking about him being a bit of a an alcoholic at the beginning of this movie, it's a perfect segue for us to talk about today's drink of the podcast. Oh my god, yeah, I've, I've been slugging this drink over here. I fucking forgot to yeah. even introduce it. Uh, ex- expertly made by our um, our. Uh, Senior senior manager of bartending services. I'm not sure what the what we'll have to get an official title on that one. Um, she has a lot of titles here at the uh, Review Podcast Network. Yes, and if you follow <laughs> some of the other podcasts on the Review Podcast Network, most notably Talking Tacos, they have a wonderful bit on their show called their One Chip Challenge. And so we kind of took that and ran with it here at Cannon Fodder, and we did a one drink challenge. And uh, we had um, hot sauce for drinks. It's mostly um, gone. It's called the sweeter one, and it's a it's um out of Columbus, Ohio, a company called UJJO Ujo, and this is made to spice up your cup. So it has um, molasses, uh, brown rice syrup, uh, ground chili peppers, uh, some lemon juice, some cocoa. It's very syrupy. What it seems to be, and we did a we did a uh, review of this for our um, Instagram and uh, TikTok pages. It's like a simple syrup that you can add to like spice up your drink. We, we made a yep. spicy margarita out of it. It's really nice. It's if you're just having it outside the drink on the front end, it's very sugary. You get that brown sugar note right off the bat. Um, on the mid palate, it's a little bit spicy, but on the back end, it just it's very cinnamony and, and very strong. So it's it's really good if you want to like make a spice margarita. I'd recommend this Ujo hot sauce for drinks. It was uh, given to me as a gift by a friend of the podcast Kevin, who uh, guest uh, hosted on our. Star Trek episode, and uh, I'm going to have to check out and see if they make other hot sauce for drinks at this company, or maybe just a regular hot sauce, because it might be good just on its own with, like, a marinade. I know. The flavor The flavor was very good on this. Um, I don't know if I would put it on, on food, but I would, I think, probably put it in a marinade. Yeah. And, it's you know, if you cocktail. are making up, a uh, spicy uh, a spicy margarita, you can get—it's um, not tequila. It's a specialty agave spirit. 
from 3BR, the, uh, the first... Yeah, I'm not legally allowed to call it tequila. They're not legally allowed to call it tequila, but that they are our first sponsor of the Review Podcast Network. So just give them a little bit of plug. But yeah, so where we kind of left it right before I did our little ad there is... Uh, yeah, how I like how at the end he's given you know like a full circle moment better than Han Solo. That was my yeah. favorite part of the movie. Like I said, that that final scene where where Karen Allen's character shows back up. Yeah, like that was my favorite scene in the, in the whole movie. It made it almost made the entire movie worth it for me, especially after that fucking absurd scene in the the siege of Syracuse or whatever. Yeah. Right, like in the past, because it just felt. Like it, like the shark was there. There was no jumping the shark. Right. The shark didn't even exist. It was just we were gone. Like we were so far gone at that point. Now, how do you and like Mads movie, Mikkelsen as a villain? I mean, Mads Mikkelsen can only play villains, as yeah. far as I'm concerned, and he always does it so well. Yeah. But, but it, it, you know, it's a little right. He, he, he's always good. Like his villains always have to be this sort of like. Um, I'm better than like this. They always have to have this air of superiority to yeah, them. Like, like a, he like Mads Mikkelsen, I don't think would be very good in like a straight up evil role. They have to be this sort of like, you know, pretentious, yeah, douchey fucking type of villain. Right. Yeah. Where they just think that they're better than you in every way, shape and form. Um, you know, but I, I liked his, his take on, on that role. Um, I thought that, uh, Oh God, what's the actor's name? His like henchman, the, the guy that was in Logan and he was in Narcos. The actor's name is escaping me. Yeah. Um. Uh, like Logan something. I don't know. I can't think of his name. Um. But his character was a little out of place for me because he was like this. It it, it just felt he like was I, probably more there, right? Because I remember. Yeah. Because what I thought was interesting that it, that that you pick up on later is there's an interesting. Well, first you don't know who he is. Right. They're saying he just appears an, to be this mercenary, but he's not an agent. And it's it's very weird. Right. Like, and then what I like is oh, when, you that. when you first meet him, he's learning German. Like he's right. literally like reading one of those like like German to English dictionaries, and that's a great um like, like you you call back to that later because it's like oh he knows about this plan. He he thinks he's going back to become a Nazi, so he's learning German so that when he goes back to the 30s, he's not lost. But that's a nice little touch. And it but, is. But, but I would have liked more of that. Like more exactly. Of him. Yeah. So 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 I'm I'm glad you you reminded me of something else too because there were two elements. To his character and the story overall just didn't yeah. fit me, right? So his character didn't work for me in that sense because, yeah, it seemed like he was training almost, like excited to go back and become a Nazi. Yeah. But then when you when you take it, I guess, in the context of the way his character was portrayed as this kind of like his accent was very Southern, this yeah. kind of good old boy thing, like, I'm sorry. And maybe I'm looking at it too much of a lens of like, like today, right? Yeah. Like, But when I think about like somebody – who's, I don't know, maybe it made sense that he was a Nazi. He just felt, like, too American for they me. They should have fixed you know, it with like, a line of dialogue. They should have. Now, I think this would have been a problem right. for some people, but it would have been great if he's really pissed off about the civil rights movement. See, exactly, and, right? Like, give some so, depth to his character, yeah, like, you know? Because you know? I think, you know, like, that would be something that I think would be interesting to, to explore because that's also something, if you've ever watched a TV show, uh, Man in the High Castle. Right. Oh, God, fucking so, love that show. Amazing show. And just as a brief digression, what that show does really well is that when we think of America beating the Nazis, right. we think of post-70s America beating the Nazis. Right. We think of, oh, civil rights movement, integrated society, more women in the workplace, all that type of stuff. We think of, oh, we're so much better than the Nazis. But if you really look at America in the 1940s, 
definitely better than Nazis. No question. Never right. going to argue that. But we were but still had Japanese people in internment camps. A lot of like, shitty uh, things we're doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and you think about it, like, you know, like baseball and football, national sports, not integrated no matter what state you're right. in. They're not integrated sports. Right. So Jim Crow laws, you know, like it's more institutionalized in the South, but you still have like larger racist, like just as a society throughout the country. So what's interesting is that like if the Nazis were to win in the 40s, which is what Man of the High Castle is, you see that, like, oh, it doesn't take that much to kind of tip America in that direction. Totally. Like, yes, we went a much better way throughout the 50s and 60s, but we're we're only slightly better than the Nazis. Or slightly, maybe a small word, but, like, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot to not like about America in the 40s. 100%. So maybe play it up with this guy if they would have played it up more, being like, this guy's just a jackass. He's a racist. Right. So, like, that's why, you know— Nazism in in response to like the civil rights movement speaks to him. Yeah, and that's where I think some of the story elements get like tripped over too, because yeah. you know you mentioned when you mentioned the FBI, you reminded me of another thing too. That whole like that like misty night Foxy Brown yeah. character who like seemed to be working for the CIA, maybe the FBI, and yeah. there's that weird partnership they had with Mads Mikkelsen's character. Like that whole thing was just completely fucking useless and so unnecessarily complex. So unnecessarily complex. They're, they like it, it was like they were trying to go with this espionage yeah. subplot, which would have made more sense if they actually they just it just got completely abandoned. Well, like I was really interested in that. Like she was why couldn't they all have just been CIA? Right. And he was like and he like just like turned on his CIA brethren. Yeah. I don't know. The whole thing like an amazing yeah. an amazing subplot for me, like again, yeah. instead of instead of going instead of going back in time to the siege of fucking Jordan or whatever right it would have been such a better story to have this actual subplot about like her character maybe or even his character right were like the Nazi hunters of like the 70s right they were going back because we know all these Nazi scientists and people were absorbed into the US government right like that would have been such a cool subplot and like very realistic for that time but it just like they hinted at some of it and then just went nowhere it just went nowhere it's very famous you know Opera Paperclip was where, right. you know, all these Nazi scientists were, were smuggled out of um, Germany and, th- and they helped us, among other things. Like the very famous example is NASA, you know, Warner von Braun. Um, uh, but yeah, so it's like there's a lot there. And, he, it, and it is funny that like he's basically playing Warner von Braun. Like that's who he's <laughs> yeah, playing. Right. And Warner von Braun is like supposed to be some sort of national hero. And, and we have <laughs> like in this movie, he's like, which is, you know, I mean, because right because, you know, before he was making the Apollo rockets, he was also making the V2 rockets bombing London. So. Right. Of course. Yeah. That's yeah, the whole. Yeah. People are just yeah. selective uh, fucking memory on that one. <laughs> but yeah. So I think we agree. The Dial of Destiny ended in a good place. I overall, yeah. I enjoyed the movie. I, I think it, I think probably the best thing about it is it really fixed the um the taste in your mouth you have from kingdom of the crystal skull well that's true yes because it's i mean it's it's hard to get worse than kingdom of the crystal skull um so so yes it is it it made me feel better than that movie but yeah still didn't love it overall that seems like the perfect place for us to go now to uh the first movie in this series now here's what's interesting First movie in the series, not the not first technically movie the first, chronologically. Yeah, right? So not many people know this. They were doing MCU shit before MCU, there we go. right? Raiders of the Lost Ark is set in 1936. That's what we'll talk about next. But it was in a time where there were no podcasts. There was no internet. You know, you didn't have jabronis like us trying to teach you <laughs> things about the movie you just saw. Uh, Temple of Doom, which was the second movie made, made in 1984, actually took place in 1935, which... Right. 
Uh, you see just briefly, just from dialogue, and also they, they, they tell you the time period but um, on screen. But it's interesting to note that, you know, they were doing prequel stuff long before the uh, the Star Wars prequels. Which must have been so weird. Like, imagine being, like, going to see in 1984-85, right? Mm-hmm. Going to see Temple of Doom, knowing that it's the second Indiana Jones movie, knowing when the first movie takes place, and the first thing you see is it, it's a year early. Like, what the fuck? Like, imagine, but, but like, how that. how many people realize that? Well, that's it's what I'm saying, one right? Year. Like, yeah, it's only one year. Yeah. And how many people are thinking, what happened to Marion? Yeah, right? Right? Because that's what's interesting about this, too, is that, you know, it ends with him, like, reconnecting with, you know, Marion. And they do a very James Bond thing. Yeah. They have him now be with somebody else. But, like, it is weird how there's no there's no real mention of it. And why did they do that, though? Like, Because I've never actually, like, read, like, why? Because I have my theory as to why they did it the way they yeah. did. But is there an actual reason behind why they set it one year back and didn't have Marion and had that other, whatever the blonde chick's I, name I was? I wonder if they wanted to do a different love interest without having him having left Marion. See, I think that's part of it. For yeah. me, I think it was because the... Because this is... If you think about it, right? And not to get, like, too whatever here, right? But the character of Marion in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark mm-hmm. was not the standard female archetype in action-adventure movies. She was a badass, right? Like, she was she was not your typical damsel in distress. Like, she was very right. much a badass. And I feel like somewhere in the studios, they were like, oh, no more of this. We need to have the hero, the male hero, have right. a typical... Because when you look at the... I, I can't remember her name now, the blonde chick's character. Well, well, yeah. When you look at her in that movie, mm-hmm. she's like, you know, just the the worst. Well, Kate Capshaw, yes. who plays um, Willie Scott, yes. she actually marries Spielberg. They're still together. Right. Yeah. But, like, her character in Temple That's of Doom... That's a typical Bond girl. Just, also typical, right. just kind of like... Like the spiders and the, yeah. and the snakes and she, the... Like, it's just... Yeah. Ugh. By the end of the movie, she gets a little bit more agency. Right. But for most of the movie, she's a damsel in distress. So that's, that's my right. theory yeah. on yeah. why they go back that one yeah. year because they can avoid having Marion in yeah. the movie and give you this more typical yeah. female damsel in distress archetype because, again, Marion probably, like... I, I, I would have to imagine that when people saw that movie in, like, 81 or 82... They probably they, they probably shocked. Like, yeah. what, is, what is she... Like, she's punching in these... Single she's woman drinking gun. Alone. <laughs> right, yeah. She's out drinking that dude, right? In that yeah. first scene you see her. Like, Such she's a, a total great way to badass. Yeah. Total badass. Like, yeah. I loved her character, but probably at that time, people didn't probably like it. So that that's my theory on it. And here's the problem with, like, talking about uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and, and how it connects to Temple of Doom. So, Temple of Doom, there is 100%, there is 100% magic in it, right? There are yes. these magic stones... They literally end up. Uh, there's a whole sequence where he is um, like turned into a zombie yes. and all this stuff. Yes, and it's interesting to um, to to have him go through um, magic in what is a prequel because right. at the very beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, you hear this clip. <laughs> oh, Marcus, what are you trying to do? Scare me? You sound like my mother. We've known each other for a long time. I don't believe in magic. A lot of superstitious hocus pocus going after a find of incredible historical significance you're talking about the boogeyman besides you know what a cautious fellow i am so it's one thing if at the beginning of raiders he's a man of science and history doesn't believe in magic but we now know after the second movie that less than a year earlier he was possessed by zombie Hindu right. stones. <laughs> like, and, that, 
and that's one of the things that like Temple of Doom always sort of felt out of place with too, because you know he feels like that opening scene of Temple yeah. of Doom when he's talking with Lei uh, Lei Chow or whatever. Like, oh, I love, right. well, that's the best part of the movie. No, no, no. It, it is by far Obi Wan. Yes, the no, diamond, the antidote. Right? No, it's yes. b- it's by far the best part, but it almost feels out of place because he feels when you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark that aspect of his adventuring feels yeah. very green. But yeah. then when you watch Temple of Doom, you're like, well, no, he's got his gun and he's fucking shooting people up yeah. and doing that whole thing one year earlier. Exactly. So it, it kind of doesn't always work, you know? Like, it, it feels a little out of place. Also, jumping to that opening sequence, which I think is so great. Like, I, I love, love that the, opening sequence. I love, um, you know, like, the anything goes. I love the... Uh, everything Everything about it is so good. I love the costumes. It's, it's so... It's so, like... Old school Hollywood. Yes. Like, I, and that, that's like the Spielberg, you know. I mean, like, right, right yeah. down to the Tommy gun shooting from the hip. Like, ah, like yeah. just and then of course, and you know, getting into how Indiana Jones is very much the American James Bond. He's wearing the exact same suit yes. that James Bond wears. Even with the rose, yeah. like, boutonniere red, or whatever. Red yeah. boutonniere, white, you know, like, which is, which is, a, which is a white suit, black tie, uh, red boutonniere that both Daniel Craig and uh, Sean Connery wear as Bond. Like, getting into that. Right. Of course, Sean Connery. Spoiler alert, later being his dad. Like, he's very much, he's he's the American James Bond, which is just interesting considering James Bond has had so many different actors, and Harrison Ford, the only one to play him. But yeah, so, it is interesting that Raiders begins, and he doesn't believe in, in, in magic, having just gone through it. But that is also, <laughs> that, that is also just good for, like, the start. And that Raiders is such a perfect movie. It like, really there's, is. There's so much about it, like, the... The music is great. We were talking about it before we started the podcast. Just music is 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 amazing. So oh. it's written by so it's written by um, Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote The Empire Strikes Back. Yes, with George Lucas. So George Lucas creates the character. His company produces it. Yep. ILM creates a lot of the special effects. Spielberg, who's a good friend of Lucas, he directs it. So it's very much like a. It's all kind of in the family of people who've worked together a bunch. Lawrence, Stephen, George are all kind of working together. It's made in 81, so this is in the middle of making the original Star Wars trilogy. So, you know, this is shortly after Jaws. And so, like, both Spielberg and Lucas are really at the height of their powers. And you can really see that in this movie. Yes. It's it's just real. I mean, everything about it works. You know, the Ark of the Covenant, the um, the Nazis. The, and, you, and you know, the the mentioning the the one thing about Raiders, not to go back to Dial of Destiny, but one of the things that I, another real issue that I had with it was that in Raiders and Temple of Doom, you know, too, right? And even like, I'm not, all the three originals, yeah. right? There's a lot of problem solving, right? Like yes. puzzles, like the more adventure aspect yeah. of it. In Dial of Destiny, I feel like he doesn't solve a fucking puzzle or a riddle until like ninety minutes, and like when they get to right. the catacombs, right? Yeah. Like so that that was one of the things that bothered me too, because in in Raiders, you know, there's that that obvious famous opening scene, right, going through the um uh, through all the traps, you know, and yeah, him you can figuring tell he's it out. Raided a tomb or two that, before, exactly, right? <laughs> and like that's one of that's one of the yeah. things I always loved about these original the original three movies. Was that the yes? They are. There is action. There is adventure. But there's also like a, a certain you know smart uh, uh, smartness. I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you went anti anti indie in your description of indie. God damn it! Um, but you know, but there's that element to it, right? That that knowledge piece where you're just like, yeah. oh, it's cool to see him navigate his way through these traps and figure yeah. out his way out of situations that doesn't involve action. Yeah, not to make it too simple, but it's like it's brains and brawn. Right. Like he is a man 
who knows a lot about archaeology and uh, spoiler alert for later in this episode, hey. the young Indiana Jones tells you all about <laughs> how he became so knowledgeable. But I can't wait but to talk so about this fodder. He's very, very um, well-versed and he's well-read in all this, but he also knows how to throw a punch, right. shoot a gun, you know, like right. use a whip non-sexually. And it's really... <laughs> <laughs> and. And and he really knows what he's doing, and and you and you really see that throughout the the movie. I, like I think the last crusade, which we'll get to soon, that's the best example of him like really using problem solving. But yeah, throughout yep. Raiders of the, of the Lost Ark, and I also what I like about him too is that like by the end of the movie, even though he starts the movie having in that clip told us he doesn't believe in magic, he does actually start to believe in it at the perfect time because that's why he survives. Right. So I think that's really, I think it's really, but yeah, such a great movie. She's a great, um, she's a great character. John Reese davies Sala, who's in, yes, I would say, him, arguably, he's in, he's in the best movies. Yeah, I know that's my, I well, mean, for, yeah, yeah, not he's for like, he's Destiny, such a strong yeah. character. I mean, that the, was a cool part of yeah. him coming back in Dialogue yeah. Destiny. It was a nice cameo. But he's great in this, you know, and um, I like all the different things um, about um, how he's able to figure out things the Nazis. Aren't you know right. when he's when he's when he's solving things? Well, um, I just remember too. Like again, not to go back to Dial of Destiny, we were talking about that weird Antonio Banderas cameo. Like I, when I was watching the movie, and he showed up, I had to like legitimately because I, I hadn't I hadn't gone back and rewatched yeah. the first three um, when I saw Dial of Destiny, and I was like, I had to go back and think to myself, wait a minute, was Antonio Banderas in another indie movie? It that wouldn't I just have been forgot, weird, right? Like I just <laughs> forgot about because there's that like because because in Temple of Doom, right? There's that yeah. like bizarro Dan Aykroyd cameo, right? Which, so out of nowhere, so out of nowhere. I mean, I, I guess it was kind of like before Dan Aykroyd was like it was around the he time of Ghostbusters, you know? Like he was a friend of Spielberg. He had done 1941, right? The Spielberg movie right before this, right? And like so, Ghostbusters, yeah. you know, yeah. was like coming out that yeah. same year, you know. It was the second so, movie in the series. I guarantee right. you, Dan Aykroyd liked the first Indiana. Yeah. Time. He called up his buddy Steve, and he was. Just it like, was just, hey, <laughs> what, you know, can I just do? Oh yeah, do you want to be the guy who gets them on a plane? Like you're basically like a flight attendant. Because like I had forgotten about it too. Like yeah. when I when I was watching Temple of Doom, I was like, I was like, wait a minute, I was like, that's fucking Dan Aykroyd. I forgot hard to tell it's him because because there's no close up. You you know by his voice, you and, hear that voice, and it's that trading places Dan Aykroyd. Yes, it's very interesting. It's, it's like he's starting that character, but yeah. It's re- it's really it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because I actually uh, my dad's a huge Indiana Jones fan and I right. saw Indiana Jones with my parents I took him there and at the end of the movie you know like Antonio Banderas the credit comes up and as we were walking up both of my parents went to me and was like who did Antonio Banderas play like they're, <laughs> they're so used to him being you know the twenty five years ago. La- Legend of Zorro, you exactly. know, great looking, you know, like well, it's we- well, it's weird too because in that beard. Well, he's still he's still playing that action part in fucking Expendables, like, yeah. which is such a bizarre. What, it's it it's works. amazing what it like a so works. scraggly gray beard does to like right? change. He he is unrecognizable. That's why I I comb my beard, so so you don't <laughs> you don't really notice those things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just and and I think what really makes Raiders Lost Ark. Um, work for me is I love the ending where the government just takes the Ark yes. and puts it in a nondescript yes. box yes. and puts it in a warehouse. <laughs> and of course, you know, it's, it, it's something that's been referenced so many times since then, you know, top yes. men. It's so bizarre. <laughs> like, it's just, and it, it's, it, it, what, I, what I also enjoy about that is that like, so in our modern world, we don't see manifestations of magic. At least right. that's what I, you know, obviously... But 
it is funny that like the reason we don't is because like the most powerful device of all time and like the connection <laughs> to the one true God right. is in a warehouse in Arizona or something. <laughs> like, it's just like it's such it's some real Area 51 shit, right? Yeah, yeah. it's just absolutely crazy. It's, it's, and, and, and it's amazing how like the government wants him to go after it almost just so that the Nazis don't get it. Well, that's like, what I that's what's so strange is that like they just if Hitler wants it, we don't want him to get it. But we're not going to do anything once we get it. It's like a dog chasing a yeah, car. Yeah, that that whole bit is like just is is so it's it's like candy for me yeah. because it's just like with like Indy and, and and like laughing at the government basically yeah. like like who these fucking idiots like they're they're throwing all of this money yeah. at a giant nothing burger so I can get off as an archaeologist yeah. just so Hitler doesn't get it it's just like the epitome of government like we're gonna throw millions of dollars at this nothing burger yeah. for them for this guy just so Hitler doesn't get it like it's just a complete waste of money I absolutely <laughs> love that aspect of Raiders and they don't know that they're actually doing the best thing possible because it's actually right? really yeah, good. It's actually, a real thing. <laughs> it's actually really good they did that. Which is also just peak government. They don't yeah. have any fucking clue. Like, just like, idiots. Like, even when they do a really good thing, they did it by accident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, I forgot how much I love that little bit in Raiders. Like, when they, when they go back to Indy's, like, like you know, flat or yeah. townhouse, or, and he's like, he's like, they're going for it? They're going <laughs> for it? Like, yes! <laughs> and, and so he's on, like, a government-sanctioned mention in the first one. And then Temple of Doom with... Which for me, it's fourth. For you, it's third. Right. And I, I think we can get into that a little bit here is because part of the reason why I don't like Temple of Doom, opening sequence, amazing. Like it's, right. I actually would argue the opening sequence of Temple of Doom is the best scene in any of the indie movies. I, I, I really, I really fair, yeah. enjoy it. But then right about the time that um, they arrive in India, it kind of loses it for me because it just seems like it's too convenient. Like, he's the yeah. perfect person yeah. to land in this time, you know, where this Maharaja. So, like, and, and it's, it's also, like, it's not very well explained, like, to the movie audience. But, like, the way India worked, like, we think of India being this British colony. Right. And it was, but it was more just, like, it was more, uh, a, like, not like a top-down control. It was, like, they would cede little bits of power to these little kings, these Maharajas. Right. And so, basically, what happens is there's, like, this new Maharaja, and he is, like basically the puppet for this like Hindu cult that's right. extremist that is like torturing children and all this crazy shit. And right. also, but like collecting these stones that in the Hindu religion are powerful. And they really are. They, and, and they really do things. They like can help control people. And like, I guess it's like some sort of plan to also take over the world with some sort of religious artifact, which is yeah. a growing thing. Just, all the first three movies are all let's control the world with a religious artifact. And, What's just so weird is that, like, it's so convenient that he is the guy who lands there, right? Like, at least in Last Crusade and uh, Where's the Lost Ark, he is recruited. He is, you know, people see he's the perfect guy for this because he's. Yeah. But he also, this is just speaks to his incredible wealth of knowledge that sometimes gets a little bit too crazy in this series. Is he also knows all about ancient Hinduism and he also knows how to take a punch and give a punch. You know, he's like the perfect guy for this. And, like, as in, like, there's a lot about that that works. Like I like the scene when like they're in the hotel room, kind of across the hall from each other, and the little like him, him and Kate yep. Capshaw have a lot of um, chemistry, and there are like lots of that movie that works. But it's just overall it just keeps on being too convenient. Well, you know, you know what it is. I think I think what you've just said for me 
is the is the one thing that puts Temple of Doom, you know, a little bit lower than the other movies for me is that it's it suffers from a bit of sequelitis, right? Yes. Everything is bigger, everything is more, you know, like 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 you said, in, instead of just kind of like this small little group of Nazis as your villains, this whole fucking cult, right? right? And then you've got the sidekick and you've got the love interest, right? And then I actually well here, there we go. Thoughts on short round. What do you think? Oh, see, I love Short Round. Yeah. See, I have, I absolutely love Short Round. Now, I wonder if that's because I saw this movie first as a kid. I'm no, curious, even rewatching I'm it, it holds if, like, up. The movie comes out today, 37-year-old Ed sees it. Do I still like the kid? I think I would. I still like the kid. You, but you, I like the kid. Yeah. Like, just I think as a kid. Right. Yeah. And and you, and you notice, you know, like in this day and age, you notice a little bit more of like the racial stereotypes that are happening yeah. there for sure. But as a character, yeah, he still holds up. Like yeah. he's still an enjoyable sidekick because one of the biggest issues with with children in action and adventure movies in general is that they're largely fucking useless. Right. They usually, they usually are just there to serve a plot device to need to be saved in some way, shape or form. Short round doesn't do that. No, he actually contributes to the thing. And that's why he makes a good sidekick. That sort of, archetype will always kind of really work that's why it would have been nice to see him grow into more of a partner because dude he, i he already is more of a partner i'm writing that I'm, I'm when we're done with this podcast i'm writing that indie fanfic where at the end of dial of destiny they don't travel back in time the nazis never get their hands on the dial short round comes in as an mm. adult and kung fu's the shit out of everybody the movie's over that's the best that's the best ending for that movie for me well i already know that just inspired me here's how i you know we normally at the end of the podcast talk about where we would go next. There's going to be an indie. I think yeah. there's, there's, I mean, Disney owns something. Yeah. Maybe they'll take 10 to 15 years, but there will be another indie. Yeah. Well, let, let, let's talk about that before we do the yeah. fodder. So what I would say, just, just, just a quick thing for that. I would love to see maybe short round and Helena team up and maybe like a young, maybe they can have like an old indie send them on a mission. Right. And maybe the two of them team up or right. something. Right. Old Indy becomes the guy in the chair. Yeah. And it's like, that, right. So yeah. maybe that would be good. Okay. And then, so, so yes, Last Crusade, good, not great. Right. But um, really, what what I also liked is that, like, by going to India, like, that was one of the strengths of the movie. And also having the opening sequence in China, completely different look. And then what's interesting is that that, that movie wasn't as well received. And then you get to The Last Crusade, which doubles down, like, you know, you're back in the Middle East. You're back in the Judeo-Christian kind of, you know, um, mythology and all that business. And, but it's you know, so much well received. Yeah, oh, that that movie just looks amazing. Yeah, Nazis are the villain again, right? Because no Nazis in India. And it's and I love that movie. I think it's interesting to have um, Sean Connery play Indiana Jones's dad because he's not like bond at all but he right. but like there is that implicit like the audience knows it's bond but he's not like bond at all and i i really enjoyed it i mean by far it's it's the second best movie for me um it's but it's much more like treasure mappy yes. like as a storyline which is interesting. which which i love like yeah. I, like i said that was one of my biggest issues with Dial of Destiny was that it just felt like it was just pure action all yeah. the time. And I was really missing that Indy using his brain. Yeah. Like, I was really missing that. Yeah. And then, you know, you have to note that the opening of the movie is has River Phoenix. You know, that's, you know, like, you know, yeah. like one of his last roles, although he didn't have many. So, unfortunately. Right, right. Um, 
But so there's this whole opening sequence in 1912 where it's young Indiana Jones. It's where he gets the hat. It's where he gets his fear of snakes and all that. And that actual scene is the inspiration for the main part of the fodder we'll talk about, which is the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. So I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, well, let's get into the fodder yeah, because okay, like, this is like, I mean, this <laughs> this was one of those things that I I don't think I ever realized how much fodder. Yeah. Indy actually has yeah. like it just I mean just this comic book alone yeah. which I love that you checked out from the Monroe uh, Monroe Township Public so, Library. Yeah, so if you follow us on Instagram <laughs> uh, or, or TikTok, you'll see that. Uh, so to the recording today, so I've I've been reading all types of things. I read um, some comics. I also played some of the video games. I have my that's right Nintendo 3DS. I took it out of mothballs. So I played great. the Staff of Kings game, which is a great piece of fodder. But by far the biggest piece of fodder is actually canonized in the movie we've talked the least about because we don't like it very much the um so the kingdom of the crystal skull which was made in 2008 um a mess of a movie i loved the opening so, sequence with the russians right um i hated the um bit with the, the refrigerator <laughs> and they really lost me when there's that sequence where indy's son mutt where they're like doing this it's a pretty good action sequence like like they're, they're like they're in a caravan of trucks and Indiana's son escape yeah and they're like fighting through the trucks like it's a typical kind of like action movie setup and there's a sequence where Mutt gets thrown off the truck yes and then he starts grabbing vines like Tarzan and then <laughs> at that point they kind of lost my like attention right but then these monkeys start joining him on the vines. You're like, okay, this is getting pretty silly. And then he jumps into the bad guy's car, and the monkeys start attacking the bad guys, but not Mutt. Yeah. Because, like, Mutt was also swinging, so I guess he's like a monkey, he's a monkey king too, now. Right? Okay, I don't know. I, know. <laughs> I remember I, I, I felt the exact same way when I was watching that. I was like... Stop! I was just please stop. This is this is like that's a perfect ratio. Uh, like 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 that whole movie is summed up, I think, in that scene because it's just like it starts off. It's a pretty good action sequence, and I'm kind of into it. Yeah, and it just completely goes off the rails. Yeah, and I for, uh, his like, and the best thing that that movie did was it got him and Marion together. Like right, far. and then another good thing that it did is that it definitively canonized the uh, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Uh, based on a clip we're going to play right now. Finally, they saw him. Knox wandered into town a couple months ago, raving like a madman. Police locked him up in the sanitarium. It's this way. Well, I took Spanish and I didn't understand a word of that. What was it? Quechua, local Incan dialect. Where's you learn that one? Long story. I got time. I rode with Pancho Villa. A couple of his guys spoke it. Bullshit. You asked. Pancho Villa. Technically, I was kidnapped. By Pancho Villa. It was a fight against Victoriano Huerta. So, if you have never seen the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, you hear that clip and you're like, oh, like, you know, colorful past of Indy. Right. You know, he met up with Pancho Villa, blah, 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 blah. But if you would have watched... The ABC TV show from 1992 to 1996, The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, uh, you would have known that one of the episodes involved Indy running away from his dad and taking up in Mexico with Pancho Villa. And 
the episode is exactly as he described. He was like, <laughs> he was like kind of kidnapped by Pancho Villa's men, and then he kind of like befriended them, and then he started fighting for them. Like, so that's not just George Lucas throwing a cool reference, and that is him, I think, canonizing um, this Young Indiana Jones Chronicles TV show, which is available on Disney Plus. So they actually released it about two weeks before uh, Dial of Destiny came to the theaters, and. This show has a long history of of being um, like edited in different ways because it was actually designed as a like educational show, and so it would be like thirty minute episodes where a eye patched Indiana Jones, who's ninety years old, played by <laughs> actor George Hall, would, like bookend the episodes, like thirty minute episodes, right? Like, and like, like the each, crypt keeper on the right, <laughs> and each episode would have like an educational thing, like you know, like it would take place all over the world. World War One, um, you know, Egypt and, and, and Australia and like the pyramids. All It would be all these like different historical things. And the, the basic premise was that Indiana Jones, 1908, he and his parents go on a world tour. Yeah. His dad, as we know, right from Sean Connery's version of him in The Last Crusade, is like this renowned person. For me personally, the best part of this show is that Indiana Jones in the show is born in New Jersey. Really? So just like all great things. <laughs> all great things come from New Jersey. All great things come from New Jersey. So Indiana Jones was born because his dad was working at Princeton. So he's born, and the first 10 years or so of his life, he grew up in New Jersey. So once again, New Jersey proves itself to be the greatest state yeah. in the Union. We have yeah. Danny DeVito, Frank Sinatra, and Indiana Jones. Yeah. Also baseball and football. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's <laughs> but yeah, fucking so Indiana inconsequential. <laughs> so, so this canonizes um, Kevin Indy Smith being <laughs> a, a Springsteen fan. And then, and then so he travels around the world, and uh, he's played – there are two actors who, plays, who play him that we have like a 10 to, over the course of the show, like 13-year-old. Right. And then Sean Patrick Flannery of the Boondock Saints. Really? He plays a teenage to 20-something <laughs> Indiana Jones because I'm just going to go through – here is what's great and terrible about the show. So it's like 1990s, it's some of the first computer animation, and you have to do that because you know you're, it's set all over the world right. in the 90s, TV budget. But the amount of people that he meets, it's kind of like, you know how like in Back to the Future where like Marty accidentally creates rock and roll? Right. It's kind of like that on like steroids. Oh, so God. Just, just so the first couple or like episodes. like Bill and Ted, right? First couple episodes, he meets Lawrence of Arabia. Multiple times. <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt, Degas, Picasso, Norman Rockwell, Harry Houdini, Freud. There's an excellent episode where his first love, not just some girl he meets off the street. Indiana Jones' first love is the crown princess of Austria. Jesus who, fucking Christ. Who is the daughter of Franz Ferdinand. Oh, <laughs> my God. in World War One, And... It just keeps on going. So the first episode, it's set in Egypt to meet Lawrence of Arabia. Okay, that's convenient, yeah. but fine. Um, <laughs> there's a great episode called Daredevils of the Desert. If you're if you go, it's actually legit the best episode. Right. That's now older Sean Patrick Flannery. Indy is now a spy for the Belgian army in World War One, and this episode stars Catherine Zeta Jones and Daniel Craig. I can't tell you how good this episode is. <laughs> and it's, it's very interesting. It's this set, is absurd. It's set in like the Ottoman Empire during World War One, because, of course, with Indy, it's not only that like he serves in World War One, he serves in every theater because right. he's a spy. So it's very convenient. You get to see him, you know, 
on the European front lines, Africa, right. the whole thing. But yeah, so he goes up against Catherine Zeta-Jones and Daniel Craig. He and Daniel Craig have this like awesome fight sequence. Like the whole sequence is he's a spy who goes um, behind enemy lines to kind of prepare the way for a British invasion of Palestine. And like the whole sequence, it's actually really it's by far the best episode. But the second best episode is called The Mystery of the Blues, and this is another reason why I would argue the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles are canon. The well, I mean, episode, it, de- it definitely sounds like they are. The episode like... begins and ends with a scene in 1950 with Harrison Ford reprising his role as Indiana Jones. Harrison Ford actually shows up in this show, huh? He is in the show. So wow. the, the episode begins, and he is um, with like a Native American chief, and they had just stolen back some artifact. Because he's always in the run from some nefarious guy, right. and he's always taking the artifact for good reason. Which is such a funny thing to think about, how you have this, he's, you know, this renowned professor yeah. right in the united states but in terms of like it's like always in felony shit. warrants <laughs> yeah. right like in the rest of the world yeah. india is like he's wanted in several different countries for like felony theft you know of like <laughs> and this gets into like the kind of like weird tone of those tv shows so like you know like actually it's a pretty great like chase car sequence 1950s cars right snowing and they like lose the bad guys, but they're like stuck in a snowstorm, and so then like, they st- end up walking to like a log cabin, and they're waiting out the storm, and so like so like that's where like his sequence ends, and then like you go back to the young one, and then you go back to the end, and like the transition from like the Harrison Ford Indiana Jones is that like he sees a saxophone in this cabin, <laughs> and then he talks about like how much he loves blues, and then you have like ninety minutes. It's it's an episode called The Mystery of the Blues. Jeffrey Wright. Of uh, Indi- of uh, right. another Bond connection yep. of, uh, is, is is like the main guy, and it it flashes back to when in uh, when Indy was in college, how he like he worked his way through college by working at bars, and like he really got into blues and jazz, right? Which would be one that would be an interesting episode, you know? Yeah, for sure. Like the episode goes off the rails though because his roommate is called Elliot, oh, and in the episode you realize Elliot Ness. Indiana Jones is the one who kind of gives Elliot Ness his criminal justice um, interest. This is the most ridiculous show. Because while Indy is working at this jazz club, there's a mysterious mob murder (laughs) that eventually is discovered to be caused by Al Capone. And Indy and and his roommate, Elliot Ness, team up with Indy's friend from previous episodes, Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> All right, I give up. <laughs> and they all kind of so that so that's like the perfect thing. And then of course yeah. the, the the last reference is the diamond from the <laughs> okay. diamond, the antidote. Yeah, that is the MacGuffin in the treasure of the peacock's eye. So like this TV show does do a good job of like right referencing all these things. But I just love that like his his best friend Elliot. I'm sorry, his roommate Elliot Ness and his best friend Doris Hemingway teamed up with him to take that <laughs> out the pope. Like, it's just, he's just like the most convenient guy ever. I give up. Uh, yeah. So, but I there are episodes worth watching. It's just it's it's real fodder. It's yeah. Really great. But yeah, and then a lot of lot of um a lot of different things. We had the video game. The video game. So that's what's interesting. I would say there's many video games. Among them, uh, the Fate of Atlantis, the Infernal Machine. The Emperor's Tomb, but most importantly, the 2009 game that Matt is currently playing on my Nintendo yeah, I'm gonna, 3DS. I'm play this for a minute here, like how do I? Yeah, it's actually it's, it's it's a really great game to play. 
It's not working. <laughs> I've never played a 3DS, but I don't have. I don't own a 3DS. I've never played a 3DS before, so I don't know uh, exactly what I'm doing here. You're just throwing stuff everywhere. All right. Oh, here we go. Oh. Oh, what, yeah. I have a stylus yeah. for this. Yeah. Yo, hey, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. So, th- so the 3DS version had like in- incorporates the stylus as like a. How do I fight this guy? Um, left and right, like you get him close to him, you left and right, and then also like if you do like a, a hard swipe, you can do the um, you can use your whip, which is how you take away somebody's gun. But I've um, that's actually the final level that we just opened up for you. I think, so. I, think I just died. You died. Keep on playing. You'll learn. <laughs> but the staff of kings is the name of the game. What's interesting about this is. Uh, this game is kind of canon because George Lucas tried to make this canon, but it was cut out of the final cut of The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So if you remember Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, w- one of the cooler aspects of that movie, and there aren't many, is that there's this great action sequence in that vault. Fuck you. That warehouse where they keep the Ark of the Covenant. And one of the things they shot, but you never saw is that there were supposed to be other weird artifacts in that warehouse. And one of them was supposed to be the Staff of Kings because this game was being made at the same time. So it was designed as a chronicle. And what's interesting is the Staff of Kings that they used, and it didn't make the final cut, was based off the prop used in the 1956 movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. This game makes no sense. You just have probably never played a 3DS. I've never played a 3DS before. Yeah. This is like the most ridiculous thing ever. I'll teach you how to play after the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the Staff of Kings is, it's the staff that Moses uses to part the Red Sea. <laughs> so absurd. Of course. Why not? Because all these things survive forever. It's just so absurd. But the idea is at the end of this game, it ends up in the same warehouse as the Ark of the Covenant. Of course. And so you, you would have seen it in the movie. So it's unfortunate that, that was cut. Yeah, it's filed under S for staff. But what I want to... But what I want to mention about these video games, the video game is it's, 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 it's pretty good. You know, it's the same storyline. You know, there's a woman who's a reporter who gets tied up right. with, and then there we go. There is the next and perhaps last bit of this Indiana Jones canon is Bethesda is producing a game that's going to come out in the next year or two. Really? And a trailer came out in um, 2021. Kind of a, it was kind of like a teaser trailer. It showed... It showed the camera like um, going across um, Indy's desk. Ooh. And what you have is it mentions the Vatican. It has a ticket that says 1937. So this would make it a prequel to much of what we've done. Yep. And it talks about, and it has like a map of like Rome and the Vatican. So maybe See, getting imagine, back to like the Last Crusade kind of bit. I imagine an indie game, an adventure, open world indie yeah. game with some puzzle solving mm-hmm. in there would be a lot of fun. I would definitely play yeah, that game. What's interesting about and what I like about the Staff of Kings game, so um, every once in a while, you have to like solve a maze puzzle. Right. You have to move this ball kind of along like these um, along this maze, and it's a water ball, which is interesting. And like at some points, you need to split the water ball in two to go down two smaller maze points. Oh, cool! And this is what Nintendo's really well. There's a microphone on the NDS. Yep. There's a fire, and whenever there's a fire, you have to blow onto the microphone to blow out the fire. Uh, and it's all these little bits. Cool. But yeah, so there's a lot of puzzles in the game. Yeah. And then just going around, um, you know, he he doesn't have a lot of guns. So right. like, part of the action sequence is probably what you're having trouble with because you didn't do the tutorial. 
is like there's a whole there's like there's a bit like when he, when Nazis are coming at him with guns, he has to use the whip to degun them, right? And then he punches them a bunch, right? Yeah, I mean, yes. But yeah, so if they if they were to like incorporate that stuff into the yeah, part of it's like in the Spider-Man yeah. games when I fucking and it starts web. off it's, it's it starts off in Chinatown, yep, San Francisco, and he's like you know. You know, like some old friend we never heard of before. You know, it's, it's, it's always <laughs> some old friend, and and you know, like yeah, and it's starts, Antonio Banderas yeah, again, right? Exactly. And it's like yeah, Sylvester Stallone is also there, and all of his old friends. So <laughs> if they were to do like a Harrison Ford kind of style, and like just kind right. of like really go for it, I mean, I can see that because I'd mean, play that game and more open world too. Like if you could do it, because I mean, ever since like the Spider-Man games have come out, like like these open world adaptations of these these products, we yep. like, like I really want to see. Yeah, definitely. Um... I think that's it. Yeah, well, because right? yeah, we've else? already yeah. talked about where we th- wanted yeah. to go. I mean, right? you, well, I mean, I guess I mentioned I wanted to. I, I would oh, love so to, for me, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what, what, what do you want? And as you do this, I'm gonna because we haven't even mentioned it. I'm yeah, gonna that, play around. Right? I have the Last Crusades cup of Christ here, by the way. So for me, honestly, where where I would have wanted it to go, which can't happen now because they hilariously killed him off screen. I would have liked to, like, as bad as Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was, I would have liked to have give, given Shia LaBeouf a second chance as the son of Indiana Jones and have him kind of take up, you know, the mantle, let's say the hat, if you will, right? Um, but obviously that won't happen now because he's fucking dead. Um, you yeah, know. But, I mean, I know a lot of neck beards would just, you know, without even watching these movies would have been pissed about this. <laughs> well, for sure. What, what, if, what if, like... Helena were to go do things. Like, see, see, I, I'd be fine with that too. Like, but as, if as much she as were like, teamed up with, with Short Round, I think it would be the key thing. For right. Me. There, like, it would be weird if, like, just her. Yeah. Like, there are ways to do this, and uh, honestly, you you could even do it. Like, you know, he's got another kid somewhere else out there, right? Like, it, like there's I mean, not, he does like the ladies, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, there there are ways to do this to make it work. To explain it away, yeah. I think Helena would have been a good option, yeah. right? Teaming up with Short Round, that's fine too. I'm honestly not sure where I want it to go yeah. now that his sort of, I mean, like Helena, I think makes the most sense, yeah. right? Because that's the only kind of living uh, relative, you know, right of, of that age that he has kind of left. And, and we've seen it with other characters. Like, they don't need yeah. to be a blood relative. It to doesn't like, need to be a blood in relative. In fact, sometimes yeah. it's better if the character is unrelated, like, keeping up the mantle. Which so I'm to- I'd be totally okay with that because Indiana Jones is one of those characters, right, where if the story works, yeah. you don't need it to be so tied. Like, it's not like Bruce Wayne and Batman, right? right. Like, it doesn't need to be so tied to that bloodline, yeah. right? Like, it could just be somebody else taking up the fucking mantle. It could um, be like a Star Trek. It's more of an ethos and a style right. than it is a person. It's, you it's, know, it's, it's like the title archaeology, could be, right? The title history, could be blah blah yeah. blah 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 in Indiana Jones story, like some shit like that. Or you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? And like have you know, because the Ark is just in a warehouse. It's just other <laughs> shit can happen. <laughs> I'd be totally down for that. And yeah, I, but the, I'm a little bit worried though because it's a Disney property now, and you know, so Disney. Yeah, I know they're gonna. And oh, they're gonna like Dis- I said earlier, they're gonna Disney yeah. it. Like, but like I said in the in the podcast previously, it's just so they own this character, and they might not do one right away. But you know, unfortunately, you know, Harrison Ford is what he's in his eighties. Eventually, he's going to pass on, and within our lifetime, there's going to be some sort of reboot, remake. Like, I, I, I 
just wonder if the best way to do it is to completely go opposite. Like I, a continuation would be nice, but I also think maybe just set it in a different time period. Right. And recast it. Obviously, people I'd be fine said with Chris that, Pratt. Yeah. Chris Pratt seems kind of perfect, I think. Honestly, what I would love to see is I would love to see them make uh, a, a th- I, I guess it would be a third movie at this point of yeah. um, National Treasure. Yeah. And you like you reveal that like Nicolas Cage is like a blood relative of fucking Harrison of Indiana Jones. <laughs> like that's the way I would like to see this continue. So Benjamin Franklin <laughs> Gates is not only a descendant <laughs> of one of the founding fathers. That's right. I knew his full name. Right. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? This just gave me some homework. Um, we're going to end this episode by saying I have not seen the National Treasure TV show. So now I have to go watch the National Treasure tre- TV show and comb through it for connections to Indiana Jones. Right off the bat, <laughs> Catherine Zeta-Jones is in it, which means she's in both series. Maybe she plays yep. the granddaughter of the character from World War One. I'm here for it. it right now. I'm here for it. Let's do it. All right. So... Thank you for uh, listening to our Indiana Jones uh, episode. Let us know on our social medias if we have uh, messed anything up or you disagree with us. I'm sure somebody does. And our next episode is going to be coming um, shortly this after this. Yeah. We're doing uh, sh- later this week. We're going to be recording um, the Tim Burton Batman verse. I fucking cannot and wait. Then, and then uh, after that, um, Mission Impossible. So, yes. you know, if you want to start watching stuff to get ahead for our episodes. That's and I think we go. have to do our summer Baywatch episode, Baywatch episode also. I I, yeah. I, I refuse to have watched two full seasons of Baywatch for naught. Like, yeah, but you know what? Baywatch Night saves it. I actually, and I did just watch I have to a go Baywatch watch. movie. I have, so, yeah. oh, wolf. I so, have to go watch all that. There we go. So, so, so you know what? Turn on your uh, Apple TVs, everybody. Watch some Indiana Jones if you haven't already. Definitely watch some Tim Burton Batman, some Mission Impossible, and of course, Baywatch. Well, I'm Matt. I'm Ed. And this, this is Cannon, Cannon Fodder. Jeez, what does it always mean? Is this Junior? That's his name. Henry Jones Jr. Like Indiana. We're named the dog Indiana. Maybe go home now, please. The dog? <laughs> you are named after the dog? <laughs> Got a lot of fond memories of that dog. <laughs>